Oh, uh, buddy, some China. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Sue Me Bro podcast with me, your host, Brandon Harper. In case you were wondering what I said, that means good afternoon in Swahili. Say it with me. Habadi Samchana. Now you know how to greet somebody in Swahili. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions, so I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. Some you'll agree with, others you won't, and I am perfectly okay with that. Because the world would be a better place if we could all disagree without being so dang disagreeable. The world would also be a better place if you went to worldsbesthammocks.com and picked up a real nice hammock. I import them from Nicaragua and I sell them to you. No shipping. Literally the best hammocks in the world. Where else can you get the world's best anything for a couple hundred bucks? And if there's one thing you need to know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. I do, however, find humor in lots of things that other people don't. And that's just part of the gig. I got lots of clips, and I make fun of silly people. And if you're not a silly person, I won't make fun of you. I think it's important that we communicate with respect but I also see the value in finding humor amongst these ridiculous clown people that are allegedly running our government. Sit back, relax, get you a bucket of fried chicken, sit in a dark room, and listen to me solve the world's problems for about the next hour Well, it's that time of week again. It's time for you to sit back, relax, and just listen to the Don't Sue Me Bro podcast. You know what's coming first. It's going to be me talking about the weather and how hot it is because I've sweated through about three shirts this weekend. It is currently about 5 o'clock on Sunday, the 23rd of July, 2023. Bitcoin is hovering right around the $30,000 mark. Been getting a lot of sideways action, if you know what I mean, on Bitcoin. But one day, one day soon, we're going to have a breakout. Speaking of breakouts, now now that I said sit back, relax, and get you a bucket of fried chicken, all I can think about is eating fried chicken. You know, sometimes you just say a word or say a word, one word, and then you're, you cannot get it off your brain, and then you got to eat it. You got to figure out where to go get it or how to get it brung to you. Man, I shouldn't have said fried chicken. Because now I'm dying for fried chicken. But I'm not going to get it. I'm going to eat leftovers tonight. You know what I thought the other day? I thought, man, I wish I had somebody to to take a challenge with me. Because this would be tough to do on your own. But I feel like it'd be fun to see how long you could last just eating the food that you have in the cupboard or the pantry and your fridge and your freezer. So how long could you go without buying groceries? That'd be a fun challenge. If anybody's up for this, you let me know. You could email me, brandontheharper at gmail.com. Brandon, Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N, the 
Harper, H-A-R-P-E-R, at gmail.com. I play the harp for those of you that don't know. But you didn't come here to hear me talk about eating all the food in my pantry and fried chicken. Well, maybe you did. I don't know. But I want to talk about something that, I don't know, I've probably brought it up before or mentioned it. You know, it's really hard to keep track of the things that I talk about. I was recently in the process of downloading all the old episodes from the Life in Paradise feed because I wanted to get them off the platform where they're being hosted or I wanted to get backups stored somewhere in case, you know, you forget to pay the bill and everything gets deleted. So I went and downloaded all the original episodes of Life in Paradise. Man, I, I can't believe how different I sounded. I didn't sound comfortable. I sounded all like everything was very thought through and scripted. And then now it's just I have like three or four word bullet points and then it sparks my memory and I just start jibba-jabbering. Makes me wonder if I keep doing this what I'll sound like a few years from now, you know? It's, it's weird to hear yourself. Okay, let's get into the meat. You know, something I was thinking about the other day is how, and I talk about, I talk about it a lot, that the left, if you look at the political spectrum or the social spectrum, the left is always shifting shifting to the left and, and the right's kind of trailing with it, right? So even though the opposite of liberalism is conservatism, and liberalism, it used to mean more freedom is better, the freedom of expression, the freedom of speech, the freedom to produce whatever kind of art you want to produce, that was kind of liberalism in the classic sense. And now liberalism has turned into just moving away from conservatism, moving away from conservative values and principles. And conservatism, by default, means people who want to keep things the way they are. They want to preserve things and not constantly be shifting their morals and values. And it's still odd to me that that extreme conservatives want nothing more than how things were a little bit longer ago than the inextreme conservatives. So like an extreme right-wing conservative might be somebody who thinks the world would be a better place if women didn't enter the workplace, whereas a modern conservative might think it's a good thing to create new laws and regulations in order to protect the community, right? The Homeland Security Act and, and all this stuff. So that's the that's the basic premise of how it's shifting. But if you look at if you look at it and you see that the left is always moving to the left and the right is also moving to the left, you'll notice that with that trend comes something that I don't know, like I don't know if this is provable, but I kind of it feels anecdotal, maybe, and that and that's okay. This is this but the show is just about my opinion. But it feels like that morals get loosened. Morals erode over time. And we talk about examples a lot. But, you know, you can think about something just as simple as in the 50s, they didn't even show the two parents of a family on TV. They didn't even show them sleeping in the same bed. Now, quite the opposite of today, we have Cardi B rapping about wet female body parts and it's clear that you can see that the standards changed, right? And regardless of how you feel about religion, it is clear that that is also becoming shoved aside. And actually, I shouldn't even say religion. I should just say Christianity. Because we're now being told to... You have to accept Islam. You have to accept Judaism. 
You have to accept everything except Christianity. And so it's it's an odd thing to me, but either way, our country was built on uh, moral and principle guidelines set forth by the Christian faith. And whether or not you are a subscriber to Christian faith, you can't deny the fact that our laws were written on the morals in the Bible. That's that's what sets right from wrong here in the U.S. and A. And so over time, we're moving farther and farther away from quote unquote Christianity, and with that, we're loosening our morals. We're not we're not using the same guiding principles, right? We're even now where people are saying we have we have to separate church and state. And even though they don't really understand what that means, it's a very convenient buzzword and phrase for people to say so that we can continue to erode morality from our society. And this is evident. If you just look at crime statistics, they pretty much just go up and to the right over time if you look at a chart. Now, part of that is the the prison system that we have. It, it makes it uh, very easy to have a high recidivism rate. But nonetheless, you would think that as a society progresses, that they would become more moral and and less criminal-like. But that doesn't seem to be the case. I think that that happens up until a certain point. And I don't know what that point is. I don't know the tipping point from which we went, hey, no one needs to lock their doors in our village to you really should carry a gun everywhere you go because there's criminals all over this mug. And since no one's around more than a generation, it's impossible to know what what changed. What what changes? Why why are we becoming less moral? Why are we becoming more willing to let go of our moral principles? And it's weird to me that you can ask someone who is not a faithful Christian, and you would say, "What what guides you? What guides your decisions? How do you know right from wrong?" And they'll just say, "Well, just you know, just do what feels right, and don't don't harm other people, right?" And that's convenient. It's easy to say, but it's very broad. It's very generic. It's very subjective because my definition of harm and your definition of harm can be different, right? Let's just look at a, a tax policy, right? If we're if we're taxing someone, we're technically harming them, we're taking away from them, and we're helping someone else. So you can't say things like, oh, just be a good person and don't do bad things and don't harm people. Like you have to have a list. It's got to be concrete. Here are the things that we as a society will reject. And I'm of the opinion that we can allow lots of people to do lots of things that affect themselves. And we don't need to tell people that they have to accept the behavior of other people. We don't we don't have to this is just my opinion, right? You may feel totally different about it and that's okay. That's fine with me. But I think it's okay to to have your set of guidelines and say, "Okay, um I'm not I'm not going to accept that." I'm not okay with the, with what that person's doing. I'm not going to be mean to them. I'm not going to be rude to them. I'm not going to cause harm to them. But I will not sit here and say what they're doing is okay and we need to accept it. Because I may live by a different set of morals or principles that someone else does. And I'm sad to say that I think ultimately this will lead to the falling apart of our society. It, it will lead to the to the erosion of of our society as we've come to know it. And it'd be easier to not talk about this kind of stuff. It'd be more simple just to 
just to keep quiet and say, oh, it's everything's going to be fine after the next election. We're just all, everything will go back to normal and we'll all just be fine. Because I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think it's important that we recognize the way things are going. And whether or not we can change them, who knows? But expressing our opinions through civil discourse can only help. Imagine if we had, if you try to build a society or a, or a group, a culture, whatever you want to call it, if you try to build on no religion and no morality, what do you use to define what's right and what's wrong? How do you know that it's not okay to take something from someone? And that's the way that people used to be. You look at Attila the Hun, Alexander the Great, all these people coming through history, they would just rape and pillage and take it. It was like, hey, he who has the biggest balls and the strongest arms, it, they're going to end up with everything. And I don't know enough to say what, what types of religion they had or where their values were derived from. It was probably only applicable to the people in their immediate group. I often say, if everyone out there was a true Christian in, in the sense of, you know, they, they believed what the Bible said was true and they lived by the morals and principles set forth in the Bible, there's lots of things we wouldn't need. Like lawyers, probably lots of prison space we wouldn't need. Some forms of contract we wouldn't need. There would be a lot less lawsuits. There would be a lot less people saying, oh, I slipped and fell in the store and I need my money. But instead, we're telling people that, no, you can't teach about God in school. You can't teach people how to live like Christ lived, but you can teach them about transgender. Where, where do you think things could possibly go wrong? I mean, if you look at this from a broader perspective, from someone's point of view who thinks it's a good thing to tell everyone that we have to accept trans, I wonder where they see this going. How do they see this whole thing playing out? And this is the, the part that I don't know because I don't have any people that really feel that way. A couple, maybe, maybe, but they're not going to come on here. You know, they love to talk about it and post and share and text. But then when it comes time to talk on a microphone, they don't No, They don't want to do that. So the moral of this story is pay attention to the relaxing of morals around you. And don't feel obligated that you have to fall into this game of acceptability. And, and don't be scared to say, hey, no, I'm not okay with this. I'm not going to be an asshole about it. I'm not going to hurt anyone. But I don't think these types of things are things that we should be pursuing. And stand on your opinion. That is it. That's all I'm going to say about that topic for now. They saying I drove a getaway car. But I cannot see I'm legally blind. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. I'm innocent. I'm legally blind. I can see. Barely. Barely. You know what I think it's time for? I think we're past due. We're past due from a poem read by your president, chief of staff of the United States military, commander and chief of the entire world, Bo Jiden. Richard Blanco, uh, Return to a poem he wrote from the second inaugural of Barack and Me. A poem, one today, says, And always one moon like a silent drum tapping at every rooftop and every window on every, in, of every county, country. Let me start this over again. Yeah, there you go. Start over. Just start over. It's okay. okay Take so, your time. 
intimidated by it. Take your time, Joe. <laughs> and always one moon, like a silent drum, tapping on every rooftop and every window of one country, county, county, all of us facing the stars. Hope, a new constellation, waiting for us to map it, waiting for us to name it, to get Other than me talking, there was uh, no contribution, no editing uh, from me. But remember, poor kids can do just as good as white kids. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. <laughs> hey, he said it, not me. I guess that makes me a real bad man. I know, I know. And I guess that leads us right into our next topic. You know, a lot of people talk about race and race relations, and they say, this is the worst country, worst position we've ever been in the country. Or what? You know, everyone has their opinion about what's happening with, with race and race relations and racism. I, for one, think we shouldn't even talk about it. It should not even be a topic of discussion unless there are, like, literal instances of people being openly violent and racist. So... That's just my opinion. But what really drives me crazy is that we have this constant talk about it. Now, I realize that a lot of this constant talk is is from the media. They're in the business of getting clicks. And so they're going to put out things that make everyone get all worked up and mad and things to argue about. And one side says you're all racist. Another side says we're not racist. There's no such thing as racism. And it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But one thing that really baffles me, boggles my mind, perplexes me, is how groups of people will walk around and say, we need to speak about unity. We need to be united. We need to all be united and have unity and all together, all united. Okay, that's fine. I think that it would be really good to have a united country. It'll be very difficult with a two-party system. It always has been. I think the beauty of our political system is that it plagues tug-of-war and it ends up somewhere right in the middle of everybody and that's in my opinion is the best way to do it but if you if you're dead set on having unity you can create a chinese style one-party system and then you can strong arm everyone into acting however you want them to act but it's difficult for me to understand how the the same types of people who sit around and say that we need unity we need unity are also the same types of people who refer to black Americans as the black community or us or we or our people or whatever adjective they want to use to to make it exclusive of white people. Because if we're all being honest, the only way that we can have unity is if we stop that. If we stop saying, what are you going to do for us? What are you going to do for me and the people who look like me? Well, that's not unity. That's not unity. And I completely understand that we went through a period of time whereby if you were black, you were expected to get up and move to the back of the bus. That is not cool. That is not how things should be. But I also understand that things have changed since then, and we're no longer doing that. In fact, we're doing things like kneeling down, wearing a bunch of African-looking clothes in the Capitol building to show black people that we support them. Or, or, or something absurd like that. Because we can never achieve unity if we're willing to treat people different. Because to be united, everyone's got to be treated the same. The same. Not better or worse because of some history 
or some past. But we've got to treat everyone the same for everyone to act the same. And let me just give you a little example. I'm going to play a clip here. If you've got youngins in the car, if you've got kids that are that you don't want to hear rough language, turn, turn it off right now and come back about a minute and a half later, something like that. So just I'm going to play this clip by Mike Tyson. This was back in Mike Tyson's heyday when he was at a press conference or at a weigh-in or something like that, a, pr a promotional event, and they asked him, well, one of the reporters screamed, put him in a straight jacket because this was after he bit Evander Holyfield's ear. And so Mike Tyson being the, well, here, you just listen. This is Mike Tyson going off with the guys, about 40 seconds long. Put your mother in a straight jacket, you punk-ass white boy. Come here and tell me that if I fuck you in your ass, you punk white boy, you faggot. You can't touch me, you're not man enough. I eat your asshole alive, you bitch. Fuck you, you hoe. Come and in my face, I'm fucking your ass for everybody. You bitch. Come on, you bitch. You're scared, coward. You got man enough to fuck with me. You can't last two minutes in my world, bitch. Look at you scared now, you hoe. Scared like a little white pussy. Scared of the real man. I'll fuck you till you love me, faggot. Now, Mike Tyson is not the guy that I'd be screaming to his face, put him in a straitjacket. So I've got a joke about Mike Tyson. It's, a, it's called, what do you call Mike Tyson with no arms and no legs? Okay, I'm not going to say the answer on here, but if you know me, ask me and I'll, and I'll tell you in person. <laughs> but anyway, so I have a lot of emotions about this particular video. Number one, I'm glad he screamed out. I'm glad he jumped all over that guy. We need more instances like this of people running their mouth, going off at the head because they know that there's a big crowd between whoever they're talking to and themselves. And a couple of these instances is all it would take for these little yip-yappy chihuahuas who are just barking all the time to shut up. And on top of all that, he references the guy, a little white bitch, little white punk. And you know what? I'm okay with that too. I'm perfectly okay with that. And I'm not one of these people that's going to say, if I can't say it, he can't say it either. Because I feel like we should all be able to say whatever we want to say without being in more trouble for saying certain words. Now, he may earn a reputation for himself. I'm okay with that too. If he earns a reputation for himself for always talking down to white people and always making fun of white people, then that's one thing. But if he just goes off on some guy, and so instead of me saying, like, you can't do that, I'm saying, no, no, you can do that, and white people can do that too, right? Because if the roles were reversed, we all know what it would be like if there was a white boxer up there going after a black reporter, calling him a little black bitch, right? We know what would happen. So it's just the same thing holds up in comedy, right? People always give them say, um, well, if if he can joke about white people, then we should be able to joke about black people. Well, you know what it takes? It takes you getting up there and joking about black people. And if you're too much of a sissy to do that, and you're too worried about getting canceled, well, then you can't. You can't complain much because you're not willing to do anything. You know, I'm just I'm just worn out of people who sit around and complain. And then they don't do anything. You know, this is the parent that comes home. Man, I can't believe they're, they're teaching my kids about whatever in school. Fill in the blank. Whatever, whatever you don't approve of. 
And then you ask the parent, well, what did you go do? Well, nothing. I don't know. I didn't want to, I don't want to embarrass my kids or I don't want my neighbors to, you know, to get mad at me. Well, then you really have no right. You have no right to complain because you're not willing to do anything to make things change. And it's important to note that just because I'm supporting what Mike Tyson does, who happens to be a guy who bit someone's ear off and he's been charged with beating up women and I don't approve of any of that stuff. And this is just an example of how people can do certain things that you can be okay with and then they can do certain things that you cannot be okay with. And whether or not, like, if someone were to ask me, well, how do you feel about Mike Tyson as a person? How do you how do you feel about him? I mean, you approve of the, these things and you disapprove of these things, but how do you feel about him? Well, I don't know the guy. I don't know him, so I can't say. And there's absolutely no reason that I have to pick how I feel about him overall because I'll probably never know him. And so I can just look at the guy and say, well, he's done this and that, and I approve of these things, and he's done this and that, and I disapprove of these things. So who really cares what I think about him? For whatever reason, people become so emotional and so invested. That's what it is. They become invested in these people that they don't know and they'll never meet and they'll never talk to on the phone. But for whatever reason, they just, when you mention someone who someone's into, they are so tied into them emotionally that it affects the way that they feel. And this is also true with climate change. Without further ado, take it away, Mary Sue. Jesus Christ is my nigga. He's the son of the original G. And he was sent to Earth to elucidate the way that we should be. We as black people, it's time. It's time for us to come together. It's yeah. time for us to rebuild a New Orleans, the one that should be. A chocolate New Orleans. That's right. You know and that's right. I don't right. care what people are saying uptown or wherever they are. This city Go ahead. will be chocolate at the end of the day. Go ahead on. Go ahead on, Ray. This city will be a majority African-American city. It's the way God wants it to be. You can't have New Orleans no other way. It wouldn't be New Orleans. You know, you cannot make this stuff up. If I'd have told you that a former mayor stood up there and told these people that he wanted to to turn New Orleans into an all-black city because that's the way God wanted it, you'd think I was kidding. You'd probably call me a racist. And in all honesty, I'm not sure. Uh, well, let's just talk about, you know, we've talked about before how, we, how these people define diversity, right? They define diversity by, oh, your skin's a different color? Then you must have a different thought process, which I personally disagree with, but that's not the point of this argument. But I am not okay. I mean, <laughs> I am perfectly okay with people who decide to surround themselves with people who have shared values. And I know that that sounds weird, but the only reason it sounds weird is because you've had diversity and inclusion pounded into your head for the last 10 years think about it like this okay think about it just pretend you're the kind of person who you go to work all day you don't steal things you don't shoplift you're not violent you don't hit people you don't take things from your neighbors you know you pay your taxes all the things that that make up who you are okay that that's the kind of person you are imagine living in an area where everyone around you was like that 
and you didn't have to lock your doors. You didn't have to worry about things getting taken off your front porch. Wouldn't that be a more ideal living condition than than being forced or told it was good to surround yourself with someone who doesn't share those same values with you? And this has absolutely nothing to do with race or skin color. This is just imagining yourself in a situation living amongst people who steal from you and living amongst people who don't steal from you. Because I'll be honest, I want to live in a neighborhood where things don't get stolen and, and things don't get broken into. And if I could ensure that I lived in that setup, I would. I would do that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. People run around and scream that we have to have diversity in everywhere and everything we do and all the things. But I don't know that diversity is necessarily always best. And in this example, when I say diversity, not talking about skin color, talking about shared values. The same holds true for a company. You should hire people who share your values. You should hire people that if you have high integrity and you have a strong work ethic and you think it's important to be at work on time and you think it's important to not steal from the person you're working for, then you should hire people who feel the same way. When I was in Nicaragua, I got to be friends with a guy who started a community and the whole premise of it was, hey, we're, we're only going to allow people to live here if they share our values. We're not going to have a bunch of party animals. We're not going to have a bunch of dope heads. We're not going to have a bunch of people involved in criminal activities. And so we're going to vet you before you move into our subdivision. And, and I personally don't see anything wrong with this. I, I'm open to being convinced otherwise. I'm not unwilling to have a conversation about how it could benefit to a community to have people with differing values. I'm not closed off to that. But from from what I can think, I can see why it's better. And from the perspective of someone who I'm not, if I did like to rob and cheat and steal and break into stuff, it would probably do me best to live around people who, who acted that way as well. Because then we would kind of have a pact amongst ourselves that we wouldn't snitch on anybody. We wouldn't turn anybody in. You know, if somebody needed to borrow a gun to go shoot somebody, I'd be happy to loan them my gun. And then in the future, if I need to borrow somebody's gun to go shoot somebody, I could borrow a gun from somebody. You know, it's the idea of shared values can only benefit a community, especially or, or maybe particularly on the individual level. Another example would be how the how the community uses money that it has, right? If I live in an area that takes great pride in spending money on their landscaping, all their their HOA dues and the, the fees that they collect throughout the year, if it's important to me that I live in an area that looks nice, well, then I want to move to an area that spends lots of money on those things. Now, if it's not important to me that those things look nice, I'm not going to want to live in an area where they charge me extra money to take care of those things because it's not important to me. So it's better for me to go live somewhere that doesn't collect money in the form of dues and fees and redistribute it in the form of landscaping and common areas. And it's amazing to me that it's taken, it's taken this much time for people to actually, well, I don't know, for people to be willing to speak up and say, hey, maybe diversity is not a good thing. Or maybe it's not necessarily a good thing. I guess that's the better way to put it. I'm not saying diversity is bad. I'm saying we can't automatically assume that it's better than being non-diverse. 
Final takeaway point, surround yourself with people who share your values because your life and their lives will be better. Remember that time they asked Miss South Carolina why she thinks that a fifth of Americans can't find the USA on a world map? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children. Thank you very much, South Carolina. To me, it look like a leprechaun to me. I gotta do look up in the tree. Who else in the leprechaun say yeah? Yeah! All right. Circling back to my comments about climate change is how, how people have started treating it like a religion and they're not even open to a, a discourse or a dialogue about what could possibly be happening or not happening. Now, I will concede to the fact that the temperature is changing and seasons are shifting. I am not going to deny that. But here's what gets me going. Here's what, you know, I have sometimes while I'm working at Beerland, I've got some uh, Senate hearings going in the background because it's important to me to hear what these jackasses that we're electing are saying, right? So when they have a Senate committee hearing, I kind of just have it going in the background. Sometimes they're two, four, six hours long, and I just kind of let it play. I pick up bits and pieces. I don't always even look to see who it is that's talking. But last week, I somehow or another ended up listening to a Senate committee hearing about gas stoves. Gas stoves. We're arguing about gas freaking stoves. Natural gas, some of the cleanest burning energy that there is. And so I think to myself, man, how have they done such a good job at creating this emotional attachment to this agenda? And I don't know if there's some, well, I don't think there's like some big puppeteer up there, you know, a marionette operator that's trying to like, turn everyone on fossil fuels which we have now learned that it's not actually from dinosaur fossils but that's a different podcast i think where it all stems from is probably some politicians who were looking to gain some credibility from the from the voters and they were they stressed the importance of changing the way that we're doing things so that they could impart fear and i know that it seems like a little bit too much dr evil and I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than I don't think they sat there and they plotted like tapping their fingers together. I just think it was probably someone saying like, hey, if we can, you know, this science is showing that the, the Earth's temperature is changing. If we can convince people that we have a solution for that, it will help them vote for us. And I don't know. I'm just speculating, right? I'm not a client scientologist. I don't know. I'm just guessing using my best judgment. I'm, I'm questioning the science that you're a shun for not bowing down to. But there was a, a famous meteorologist, John Goldman. He invented the Weather Channel. The guy studied weather for 61 years, and he died saying that we are not causing the Earth to change temperature. But because this whole thing started so long ago, and the, the certain group of people have been able to use it 
to to build on emotions, right? We know that this is a tactic. We know that the government likes to gain credibility and gr- gain favor by creating fear, showing and maybe creating a problem, and then saying, oh, here's the solution, okay? If this wasn't the case, well, first it was global cooling, then it was global warming, and now it's just climate change. So they, you know, they can't lose this way. If it goes up, they win. If it goes down, they win. And what's really frustrating is that you're not allowed to say, well, hold on a second, that might not be right. Because science says, unless you have a control and a variable, you don't have an experiment. You don't, we don't know what Earth would be like without cars and engines and the internal combustion engine. We don't, we don't know, so we can't say for sure. But when the government funds these studies and they, they give, here's, here's $100 million, um, please go tell us the effect that global warming is having on the Antarctic gray snail. Well, these people want to keep keep getting money so they can keep doing research because that's what they love to do is research. And I'm not sitting here saying that all research scientists are money hungry because I, I don't think that's the case. But I do think that we just we have such little data that it should not be a, well, if you're against the earth and you hate the earth and you think climate change is fake, well, then you're just an idiot. I don't think it should be that. I'm fine with it being a discussion, but imposing these rules and regulations that decrease the standard of living. We're, we're basically asking developing countries to stop developing because in all reality, the only thing that really catapulted us was the internal combustion engine, along with some capitalistic views and, and the way that our government was run. But access to the internal combustion engine is really was the, was the big leap. And so we're going to farmers in China and Indonesia that are still using water buffalo to plow their rice fields to tell them that they need to start respecting climate change. Get out of here. And then on top of all that, and this this new realization, everything that I've just said, I've said before. I realize that. But this new realization that I had, I, I always like just sometimes sit there and just look at a world map. And I just think about things. I'm like, I wonder what this used to be like. I wonder what it'd be like to go here. I wonder how deep the water is. I wonder if anyone has ever swum from here to there. I just look at it and I sometimes think about things. And I I was looking at where eastern half of South America fits in with the western side of Africa. And if you just look at that map, if you know nothing, it, it seems very likely that it all had fit together. At one point in time that the Europe and the North America fit together, and Africa and South America fit together. It seems very likely. I'm not saying it was. I'm not saying it's science. I'm just saying if you look at it, you think they probably fit together at some point. Now, if you can agree with that, if you can say, yes, they probably did, you can also, or you also almost have to say, imagine how long that took, and imagine how much the climate must have changed over that vast period of time that it took for those two pieces of land to split apart that far. You think the weather patterns were just the same for billions and billions of years or however long we can agree that the Earth's been here? We know we used to have the Ice Age. We know we've had different periods of time. We know we've seen different species been killed off before. And sure, every single one of those could have been a meteor that blocked the sunlight, but... When was the last time this happened? We don't know because we don't have any recorded history. So you're telling me that you're going to take the last 150 years of our measly existence and say, look, 
Look at what we've done to the earth. We're destroying it and killing the climate. And because of this, there are fires everywhere. And if you don't believe me, you can go to hell. Because that seems silly. That seems sillier than saying, chances are we're not causing it. Now, let's back up. I realize that we can't dump chemicals and pollutants into rivers and oceans. I'm, I'm not saying we should be able to do that. I'm just saying that we should wake up and look around us and say, hey, the government sure is hell-bent on going all-electric. They're pumping tons of money into it. And I do not think wholeheartedly, deep down inside, that those people, the types of people who just want to be elected and they just want to be friends with the cool kids and they want everyone to like them, and they want to be with the popular crowd, I don't think those people give a rip about climate change. If they did, they would behave differently and they would they would behave differently and then they would want credit for it. So then they would then say, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm doing my part. Save the earth. They don't fly in electric jets. No, they fly on gas guzzling private jets. And you know what they tell you to do? They tell you to turn up your air conditioner when you leave. They tell you you're not allowed to use a gas burning stove. They tell you. That you should drive a smaller car, even though you got five kids and you're crammed up in this little tiny station wagon. Meanwhile, they're gallivanting around, burning up probably hundreds of gallons per hour on their jet, flying to conventions so they can tell you what you need to do different. And once again, this is the double standard. You know, it's, it's really the double standards that set me off. And this is one of them. And it's really tough for me to stand on this argument because you've got people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's considered to be like, oh, one of the smartest men on the earth about anything that has to do with science. Well, unfortunately, I have to disagree with him. And, and I know that he's far more educated and he probably knows all the statistics and all the data and all the talking points that these people have been saying for years and years and years. I can also find data that says he's wrong. So no matter how much you want to know which is true, we don't have the data. So even if what he says, if the numbers are what he says they are, I still don't believe we're causing it. And he can't prove me wrong and I can't prove him wrong because we have no control and no variable. And you know what? I realize that I'm just a stupid former construction worker. Once again, I would love to go on with him. Maybe not. He would probably make me look like an idiot. You know, he probably would because I don't have all the, the facts that he has. But even with his facts, I just I'm a skeptic. OK, I I can look at a picture of the earth and say, yep, those things split apart. And yep, the temperature probably had to change quite a bit over the course of that amount of time. Like you're going to pull something out from the bottom of the ocean and try to tell me what the temperature was of the water. 30,000 years ago. Come on, bro. Come on. And honestly, if people believe they were right, it wouldn't take the government pushing it. It wouldn't take subsidies. It wouldn't take you having to convince people that they should dr drive electric because it's the environment. I think that most people don't believe them. I could be wrong. But if we believe them, if we believe the end was near... Like Al Gore said it was like 12 years ago. He said, we'll see, we're going to see the end of the world in 12 years if we don't change the way we're acting. So for the record, for the record, 
my official stance on climate change, which, you know, nowadays you have to be ready to share your official stance on something. So my official position on climate change is the climate is changing. It's changed like 1.5 degrees Celsius since we've been measuring temperature change. Now, I'm not going to deny that. I am going to say we cannot say that it's from men. That's it. We can't say that it is. We can't say that it isn't. And because that I'm not willing to say that it is, chill the F out with all the rules and regulations and subsidies. In my mind, there's a red light going off saying, why are you so hell-bent on getting rid of the oil industry? I want you to just take a look, okay? You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate. We're going to end fossil fuels, and I'm not going to cooperate. Yay! Yay! End all the fossil fuels! People, wake up. And so, since it's become such a big contingency, they will continue to use it, right? I mean, once you've got something that people take as seriously as a religion, they're so passionate about it that they will scream and holler and make death threats if you don't believe in it. Now, last time I checked... People probably weren't making death threats against people who believed in climate change. People are only making death threats towards people who don't believe in climate change. And that should tell you something as well. But imagine having the power, to that religion, that, that willingness to fight and to get fired and to, to do bad things, to throw paint on airplanes and to throw paint on art and destroy things because you're that passionate of course you would use that to your advantage. If you were in the business of getting reelected, you're going to use everything in your power. You're going to use all the tricks in the book and whatever you can use to make people feel a certain way, feel the pride of being on your team, they're going to use it. So it's more than likely it's never going to go away. It will always be here. And I think that the government has got such a, their claws in it are so deep It'll be a constant battle. It will be a constant battle. Eventually, they will win because the government has the power. The government has the power to say, if you make this, we'll pay you. Or if you don't make this, we'll fine you. And the people have nothing to do. There's nothing we can do about it. These are the types of reasons, although at a different time period, that the UK fell apart. The, the, the monarchy of the United Kingdom fell apart and people left and they came to a new land to create opportunity and to pursue a vision that was no longer accessible in the UK. I wish we had a little Jill Biden to teach us some Spanish, a little Jill Biden Spanish lesson. Si se puede. What does that even mean? Si se puede? Oh, Jill, I think you're trying to say si se puede. Try again, Jill. Si se puede. Si se puede. No. Say puede, say puede. No, puede, puede, puede. Say puede. No, Jill, puede. Puede. No. Si, say puede. You're not listening to me, Jill. Si, say puede. All right, I give up. I give up. Si, say puede. Remember that time Kamala Harris was given a presentation to like the the world's greatest engineers of electric things. <laughs> she, she talked to them like they were four. Imagine a future. The freight trucks, 
that deliver bread and milk to our grocery store shelves, and the buses that take children to school and, and parents to work. Imagine all the heavy-duty vehicles that keep our supply lines strong and allow our economy to grow. Imagine that they produced zero emissions. Wow. Well, you all imagined it. That's why we're here today. Because we have the ability to see what can be. Oh, yes. Unburdened by what has been. Yes. And then to make the possible actually happen. So today, I am proud to announce that our administration is taking steps to build that better future. Go, Gator. By transforming our nation's fleet of buses and trucks. And that transformation will begin with public buses. Oh, that's good. That's good, Kamala. Thank you. You know what I heard the other day? And I'm so sick and tired of hearing this. Is that everything is a threat to our democracy. This is now coming from both parties. Okay? Now, if you don't see how they're attempting to manipulate the feelings of the average person in order to gain support for their political agenda, then I don't know what to tell you. First, here we have President Joe Biden, jibber jabber, threat to our democracy. On just enough occasions, I've chosen not to dismantle democracy, but to preserve democracy. We must choose that path again. The remarkable thing about American democracy is this. Just enough of us, on just enough occasions, have chosen not to dismantle democracy. Okay, so maybe he didn't use the exact words threat to our democracy, but he said that it's important that we choose to preserve our democracy. While I was looking for I was searching around looking for it, and I came across this clip of Joe Biden who's trying to talk, and he sounds so drunk. Just listen. Election workers... Like Shay Moss and her mother, Ruby Freeman, were harassed and threatened just because they had the courage to do their job and stand up for the truth, to stand up for our democracy. There's also a big part of me that wants to remind you that this is not a democracy, that the United States is not a democracy. And here you have Trunk defending democracy. Results. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. In so doing, I was fighting to defend American democracy. I continue to strongly believe that we must reform our election laws. So there you have it. You know, both people are saying the same things. And that should be an eye-opener. That should be the point at which you say, well... One of these fools is lying. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. Ooh, don't worry. Don't worry, Pelosi. I will not mess with you. For some reason, there's a big part of me that thinks that Nancy Pelosi did not pray for Donald Trump all the time. And now... I shall proceed with one final rant, just a little mini rant, not, not a big, loud, long, rambly rant, just a little rant. It's about bicycles, about bicycles. Listen, I know we're supposed to share the road or whatever. First of all, 
there's something about sharing that doesn't feel like sharing when you're told to share, right? Sharing is giving something out of the kindness of your heart that is not due nor obligatory, right? But bicycles. We are told to share the road, 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 share the road. Why? Roads are for cars. Roads are not for bicycles. Now, I understand. I want to ride my bicycle. It's a nice downside. Okay, go ride your bicycle. But just don't expect people to share the roads. Or don't do things that are inconsiderate. You know, if there's a bike lane, I'm good. You know what? If there's a bike lane on the road, go for it. Pedal in the bike lane. I have no problem with that. But the idea that bicyclists have the rights to the regular road outside the shoulder anytime they want, going anywhere, doing anything, I'm sorry, I can't be for that. And if we're all being honest, the only people who could be for it are the people who also ride bicycles. I've felt this way my whole life. I think I've talked about it before on an earlier podcast, but I heard it on the Michael Berry Show this week, which is one of my all-time favorite talk show hosts. But contrary to popular belief, I still have my own opinions. I don't worship him, but I listen to a lot of his content. He's been great and inspiring to me. But sometimes I hear things on that show, and it like it reminds me how I feel. So anyway, we don't owe it to them to make room for them or to sacrifice our lane. You know, there is so inconsiderate when a person on a bicycle gets on a windy road, and they make cars just back up, just line up behind them because they can't pass the bicycler because the road's too windy. And they don't want to get in a crash. They don't want to wreck with another car. They don't want to run the bicycle off the road. So what do they do? They just patiently drive 20 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour behind the bicyclist. As far as I know, they don't pay for the taxes of the roads. There's no fuel tax they're paying. They're not obligated to the, to the roads. We don't let people walk down the road. We don't let people skateboard. You know why? Because they're going too slow and it's dangerous. So why do we have to make an exception for bicycles? Somebody please tell me. And like I said, I have no problem sharing. If, if I want to share, I will share. The fastest way to keep me from sharing is by telling me that I have to share. Because sharing, by default, is, is saying, take something that's rightfully yours and offer it up to someone. What kind of world are we live in and we got signs telling people what to share? Stop telling me what to do. I wish I would figure out the, the sooner you people stop telling people what to do, the happier I'll be. And I will leave you with that rant. You can stick it in your hip pocket, and you can even use it at work this week. You could go to the guy that you know, that you know for a fact he rides bicycles, and you could tell him, hey, man, I don't think we should share the road with you. And just see just see what he says. No, you don't. Don't do that. Don't, don't stir up trouble, you know? But if you can find a way to have discussions about opposing viewpoints, you'll quickly learn if people are just purely emotional or if there's actually facts that are driving their standpoint. And it's interesting to me. I've gotten to the point, you know, whenever I used to discuss things with people, I would tend to get emotional. I would tend to let my emotions get the best of me. It wasn't until about mm, two years ago that I kind of started figuring out how to just chill. And if you let an emotional person do all the talking, you'll come out. You'll come out on top because when people are in emotional rants, they're not thinking logically. Your brain shifts into a different mode. 
And it's tough, believe me. It is tough to not get mad at somebody who's mad at you. But the sooner you can start doing this, the more it'll make sense. All right, that's it. That is all I've got for today. I have some other points, but I didn't get to them. It's already 7.15. Man, it's, these summer Sundays, dude, they just go by so quick. And we look up, and it's 7.15. It still looks like it's 3 in the afternoon. I greatly appreciate you listening to the Don't Sue Me Bro podcast. I would greatly appreciate it also if you went and checked out worldsbesthammocks.com. I really need to sell some of these hammocks that are just sitting, collecting dust. So please tell your friends, tell your family to buy a hammock at worldsbesthammocks.com. If you've already bought one, I'm not talking to you. I appreciate you buying one. I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Go out there, share your opinions, but don't share the road if you don't want to. Surround yourself with people who share your values. If you want to build unity amongst a culture and a society, then do so. Do not use exclusive language if you're trying to do so, though. Hang on to your morals and principles. They may be gone before you know it. Don't be scared to confront people when necessary. And when you're confronting someone, don't hold back. Especially if you're Mike Tyson. And most of all, above all else, of everything I just told you to do, whatever you do, do not sue me, bro. Bitch, I'm from Texas, man. That be the heart of the South. Where they sip lean and ride on foes and keep a grill in their mouth. If you ain't from my side of town, then stay your ass in the house. Them Texas boys will do you grimy, boy, you know what we bout. But say la ho. Let me tell you something good. I don't love you, just fuck on you like a real nigga should. And fuck these hoes, we don't trust them. And boy, you know I don't love her. I hit her once, she fall in love. Cause I'm a dog in them covers. My bitch will choose it. Love her, never fuck without a rubber. Caking with that broad, and you know my niggas fucked up. I'm from Texas, baby. Trucks be banging hard like thunder. And one cup ain't enough, so when we sip, we pour another. I'm from Texas. Candy paint and sip and drink, they all know what we do. We be Switching lanes, gripping with granges, rolling with the crew. Here go Texas from the south, Louisiana from the south. All my niggas from the south know what the fuck I'm talking about, bitch. I'm from Texas, man. Hey, what go down? Whoop de whoop, bitch. I'm from Texas, man. Bro, it seems what it do, bitch. I'm from Texas, man. That's on my mama. I swear to God, bitch. I'm from Texas, man. Now what y'all know about them boys, bitch? I'm from Texas, man. Coming down on them foes. I'm from Texas, man. Smooth finesse and not a these hoes, I'm from Texas, man. Whoop de whoop, that's how it go. I'm from Texas, man. Sipping, drinking, smoking, joke. Messing with the gang, you will lose your brain. Hit shots, chit shots, aiming anything. Coming up as a youngin' wanna ride swings. Coming up as a youngin' wanna sip drinks. I'm in the moat, moving slow. I done let down the window, and I done peeped this red hoe. She peeping me, so it's a go. I got the guard, I got the joke. Who got the spark? I lost it, hoe. I be full of this smoke, so if you got it, let me know.